0: From the city of brotherly love, this is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow business during complete global chaos. Today, all about that nuanced discussion. First, though, please remember download the Shark Bite biz app exclusively on android at the google play store all you got to do is search shark bite biz that's where you'll get every single episode of this show the live stream the audio version the video version the clips everything right there in the app in fact you can buy our fabulous coffee brand dead house coffee right there in the app all you gotta do is hit the coffee store tab bing bing boom buy your coffee right there but if buying coffee through an app isn't your thing don't worry we got your back you can head on over to deadhousecoffee.com make sure you use the code shark you'll save 20% off of your order and then we'll get all the proceeds and keep doing all the magic that we're doing here at Sharkbite Biz. Now let's get back to today's show. Today we're going to be talking about a new tech company that is helping you make educated guesses on how to buy eco-friendly products, you know? How eco-friendly are your purchases? One thing I learned during this interview that Plastic straw versus metal straw, unless you're going to use a metal straw a hundred times, okay, it's the equivalent of using a hundred separate plastic straws. It is crazy some of the data that's coming out of this conversation, and I think you're going to love it. It's just one of those fun, really nuanced discussions that go deeper than what our average show does. So who do we have today? None other than Miss Lizzie Horvitz. Lizzie started Finch to decode products' environmental footprint and encourage consumers to make better purchasing decisions. She became frustrated with greenwashing and the lack of knowledge outside of academia about the impact everyday products actually had. So, hey, without further delay, let's bring Lizzie right on in here creative and innovation tips lizzie welcome to shark bite biz you my friend you just became shark bait
1: thank you so much for having me i'm happy
0: to be here oh i i'm happy that you are here so (laughs) that's a good place to start i guess you know the first thing that we have to do and we have to get this out of the way because every single show we ask everybody the same exact question where are you from? Who are you? What do you do? How did you start doing it? Tell us what makes Lizzie Lizzie.
1: I am originally from just outside Cleveland, Ohio. So born and raised Midwest. Um, I went to school on the East Coast, um, but in high school, I had an experience where I was able to live off the grid in the Bahamas, um, and so I lived in a place that ran only on solar power, wind generators. Um, If it didn't rain, we weren't allowed to shower. And so that was really my insight into climate change for the very first time. And really, since I was 16, I've been dedicating my life towards that. And so during college, I studied environmental history. I think it's really important to know sort of where you where we came from to figure out how to move forward. And then um and then went into the private sector and have been really trying to solve climate change through large companies since then.
0: That sounds amazing. And uh it, it's kind of similar because I have a story that I would say would be pretty similar to what you're you're talking about. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different. Um wasn't exactly as off the grid as you were, but I was living down in Tijuana, Mexico, in one of the more undeveloped sections of the city. So I wasn't in downtown. I was, it was like camping 24 seven. I mean, you'd have, uh, we had one spigot. We had, you know, maybe just two or three outlets. Um, we would have to heat up uh, boiling water, mix it with cold water in order to take a bath standing up. I mean, we had all those experiences, and for an American, being you know, especially being a white guy living down in 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 Mexico for fifteen years, it's almost like, why did you put yourself through that? It was that hard, And I was living in Tijuana, crossing the border into San Diego every single day for work, which some days that means that you're working an eight hour shift. I was spending maybe sixteen hours with my commute it was It was insane, and it really it really helped me develop as an individual as a person to see things especially when you get into things like the the border crisis or immigration those types of things being through the immigration systems of mexico and peru and doing all that type of stuff it gives me a little bit more insight than many of the talking heads that you'll see on tv that talk about those subjects so I don't know. I mean, I kind of feel where you're coming from as far as having an experience like that, giving you a strong foundation uh, to build your life.
1: Definitely. It just gives you so much perspective. I have been, you know, my parents are still living in the house that I grew up in. They've been there for 38 years. And until I was 16, I was in this little bubble in Cleveland. And to live in a completely different place with Different standards of living, and um, you know, having to think about where your water is coming from, and what happens when you keep the lights on or forget to turn them off, et cetera. That just changed my whole perspective on everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, that 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 definitely it would. I mean, it does sound. Usually, when I tell these stories, I'm the person who's had the more extreme experience, and the other person because there's a lot of people that say, "Hey." I traveled to Africa, or I did this in Asia, or I did this here or there. And it had a huge, even South America, and it had a huge impact on my life, just seeing how real people lived outside the state. Usually, their story doesn't go as deep as my story does. I have to say, out of the 170-plus episodes we have on this show, your story probably tops mine as far as, being more immersed because you were literally off the grid even more than I was.
1: Well I'm honored. That's very I'm I'm very honored to to be that person. Um and then five years later I actually did uh live in Tanzania. I was studying wildlife ecology and conservation and talk about being immersed I was living um in a Maasai community um in Maasai is a is a tribe in ten, Tanzania and Kenya, mostly around East Africa, um, and they don't speak Swahili, they, they don't speak English, they have their own key Masai language, and um, they live in these mud huts, they live a very simple but beautiful place.
0: So I've actually, I think the author was John Warden, if I remember correctly, but he has one of those... Um, what's it called, like the learning experience? I I forget, you can get them on Audible. It's pretty much like a whole college course, of all the lectures condensed into a book. And it's like a 40 plus hour book. And it's just guys lectures on language and the history of languages. And one of the things that surprised me that it really wasn't culturally aware of is that there's a lot of, uh, I guess, tribes out there in places like Africa where they do a lot of the clicking and stuff like that to communicate. Did you happen to see that at all? Was that how that tribe was?
1: No, that's more, I think, Southern and Western Africa. Um, in Tanzania and Kenya, there is not, they they speak language. Um, and I learned Swahili, uh, which is a fantastic, actually very easy language to learn, shockingly. Um, and most of the country speaks that, um, but the Maasai have always sort of done their own thing and they speak a completely different language. And so for three days, you know, you have to figure out a way to communicate with your hands and gestures and facial expressions. And it was very cool.
0: So, I mean, how, if if you don't mind, because I mean, obviously I want to talk about your greater mission at hand here, but this is uh th- th- this is something that is I find it intriguing and very interesting you know having that experience of being I guess you could say embedded living with a a tribe in Tanzania and how did that actually happen how did that come apart like or fall together
1: it happened because for maybe not the reasons you might think, I was at a college that um, took languages extremely seriously. And if you, they they offered many, many languages. And if you were not fluent in a language that they offered, you were not allowed to study abroad. So in other words, I wasn't able to go to Italy, France, Spain, the more normal places that you go, um, because I wasn't fluent in those languages. The caveat was that they didn't offer Swahili as a language. And so I was able to go to Tanzania. I was also studying environmental studies, and so it was a natural move to, you know, to go somewhere and study art history didn't make a lot of sense. And so there was a program that was wildlife ecology and conservation in Tanzania, where you essentially, uh, you live in the national parks for most of it. You're literally camping or or in these homestays and studying wildlife and evolution and everything. It was really life-changing, but it was sort of... I mean, I, I'm such a fan of East Africa. It's one of my favorite places in the whole world. But it was almost by default. I knew I wanted to leave the country for a period of time, um, and that was one of the only places I was able to go. Wow,
0: wow. So you know, it was kinda, I, kind of kind of by happenstance, I guess you could say. But it sounded like it it worked out for you. I got lucky because of living in Mexico for so long. I ended up, um, you know, learning Spanish Spanish naturally. From living there, even in my house today, outside of work, we primarily speak in Spanish in our house just because, you know, we want our kids to understand their culture. You know, they have aunts, uncles, cousins that live down in in Peru, for example, and they need to be able to communicate with them. So we speak Spanish fluently. So that way they learn how to speak it to speak with the other half of their family. And, you know, that's still got to be. A culture shock because, I mean, when you come to a place like the US, you know, you got the melting pot, you know, that people call us of what we are. But Spanish, especially because so much of the US used to, you know, be part of Mexico at one point, there's a lot of of Mexican slash Spain or Spanish um, influence in a lot of the areas, you know, you get down Texas, Texas. New Mexico, Arizona, California, places like that. So it, I I think going down there maybe wasn't as much as a culture shock as it would have been to live with a tribe out there in Tanzania. How did they receive you? I mean, how wh- like were they just open arms like, hey, welcome, join us? Or I
1: think they did have open arms. I think you know the the whole history of colonizing this entire continent. And it's a it's a really dark history. And these countries in Africa, at least in Tanzania, are relatively new, right, compared to certainly Europe, but even the United States, which is also pretty new. Um, And so they, as a whole, I think a lot of the local people there who have...
0: People forget that. People... I want to make a point. People forget that. I mean, we're, what, um, 246 years old? I I forget the number. 224, something like that. Um, And I I know 1776, but I, I forget the actual math, how old the country is. But it's, you know, somewhere in that range. But in terms of speaking of countries, I mean, that is still relatively young because you have countries that have been in one shape or form around for hundreds or even thousands of years. I mean, when you start talking about Spain, you know, England or, uh, you know, Germany, uh, even though they've had some division or Asian countries like China. So it's, I mean, we are a really young country when you think about it.
1: Exactly. And I think Tanzania specifically is even younger. I think it became independent in the 60s. I don't remember the exact day or year. But um, so the relationship is still, you know, America comes in and is aid, right? They come in and they offer mosquito nets and um, give money and bring school supplies for kids. And it's a very much like, I think in America, money grows on trees. And so the, right, the only Americans you're seeing in Tanzania are the ones who are giving something to them. Um, and exactly. And so that created for me specifically, and everybody has different experiences, of course, um, a discomfort that was fine and really important for me to experience, but it was kind of like, can you take me back to America? Can you give me money? Can you teach me English? Can like give, like take, take, take. Um, we,
0: like, I've, I've had that. I, I don't talk about this very often. Uh, in fact, I've never said this on the podcast. And you got to remember, I, I say this from my heart. I love Mexico. I have a Mexican green card. I, you know, my oldest son is Mexican. So I, I say this with the, the best of intent. But I did have a lot of that experience down there in Mexico as well too because they you know they see the white guy the gringo and it's like oh you have you have money you can give us money you can help us uh you know can you give us a letter to get a visa and it's like dude sorry it actually doesn't work that way you know and and in fact I live in Mexico for a reason so you know and,
1: and you know you you get it because That's what they're used to. And it's, but it's also like, I'm on their turf. I'm eating their food. They're serving me. So like, it's, I couldn't just, it's a, it's a balance. But I also, you know, on the flip side, I made incredible friendships. I had a translator there when I did my independent study, um, who, her name was Tatu. She was, I don't even know how old she was at the time, but a little bit older than I was. And we became such good friends. We'd go dancing at night together. Like there's a really amazing core set of values um, that I think humans have, regardless of where they grew up, where you can sort of like bond with anybody on the planet. And that's also the experience that I had too, like, it's not, you know, they care about the same things. They're not so different.
0: When I was younger, I was more... I don't want to say gullible, but I was more like, oh, you, you, you need 10 pesos for this or whatever. Okay, here you go, 10 pesos. And I'd be giving money left and right because I was, you know, coming from a small town in Pennsylvania and then being down in Tijuana, which Tijuana is a city of millions of people. It's one of the largest cities on the whole West Coast uh of north and south america and you know people really don't understand how big that city is and going to there and having i guess the big city culture shock compared to cultural shock of being in mexico was was different for me as well too and i was giving money away left and right and as i got older I guess you could say I got colder (laughs) in a way I would uh, I I would I would stop giving you know by that point I had kids I had a family you know and I needed to make sure they were being taken care of first but if there were kids for example you know that were I I wouldn't give them money but I would end up hey here's some candies you know what I mean Um, because it's evil I, I think some of the beggars down there they they basically grab orphan kids and make them do their bidding because they figure that the kids will get the money easier asking for money than the adults will. So instead, I'll I'll give the kids candy, you know, I'll give the kids cake or something like that. Like literally, I'll buy them Trace leches, slices of cake down there, give them that and let them have that because I would rather see them eat something or enjoy something than just give them money that is going to someone else. But anyways, let's let's uh, pivot. We've been talking a lot about our paths, which uh, has a this is it's been really interesting um, how they compare. But you are the founder and CEO of Finch. Why don't you tell us what Finch is?
1: Finch is a platform that decodes products' environmental footprints to help consumers make better purchasing decisions. And so, this came out of a frustration that I had where. Because of my background, I had a lot of family and friends coming to me with questions around you know what sunscreen is not going to give me cancer and what deodorant is best that doesn't is made with aluminum et cetera and i really didn't didn't know where to direct them. I felt like there were these academic papers that are tough to digest for a normal person, and then this rise of blogs, which are certainly well intentioned, but they say things like all natural chemical free things that don't mean anything, and so My goal was really to create...
0: It sounds exactly like Dr. Oz's website.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. My goal was to create... If you're familiar with NerdWallet, it's this fantastic resource, right? Where if you have any questions around personal finance, that's your go-to. If you Google NerdWallet, is the first thing that comes up. I wanted to create that in sustainability um, because... The numbers show that most people in the United States care and want to do something about climate change with their own impact, but they don't even know where to begin. And a lot of them become, you know, apathetic because they don't have more than seven minutes to research any of this online. And so if there's an easy way to sort of um, get this information, more people can make more responsible decisions.
0: Definitely. And I, I think, again, most people would want to do something that is better for the planet, because I mean, look, okay, no matter how far right or how far left you are on the the spectrum, I mean, we're only gonna be able to do so many landfills in the world that, you know, with the size of human population, uh, I mean, like you, you, we have to figure out a solution as far as like consumable items go, plastic stuff that don't degrade. Not that I'm against plastics itself. Um, I very much despise paper straws. I rather have a, a plastic straw, but maybe there's some type of better plastic that can be either easier recycled or perhaps, um, you know, more degradable to where it's a little bit more natural or something like that. And I've even listened to, uh, a, what was it? It was a Joe Rogan podcast uh where he had this sweet old lady um uh, on the the show like very elderly and she was talking about the the study about how much plastics are in uh the human system like basically it's almost like a credit card uh size worth of plastic that's in your body in your blood and it actually can't believe I want to say this on this show, but it actually relates to uh I guess you could say male fertility as well, too. That the studies have shown that since plastics have come out and been more dominant, you know, the the smaller things have been for males. <laughs> I guess that's the most uh the PC way to put that. Uh how much how much of that are you familiar with? And how does that, you know, all kind of fit together? Because I think plastics. They're good, but they're also bad.
1: Right. I mean, there's so much to say on this topic. I think our biggest enemy is convenience, right? Uh, people love holding on to something for 12 minutes and then throwing it away and not having to think about what happens next. Um, same thing with Amazon Prime in a different way. Like the the carbon footprint of shopping online is the rush delivery. It's not the act of buying something from a manufacturing site. Um, with straw specifically, I think... Um first of all, it's so interesting that that has become such a sort of pariah. Like everybody's talking about plastic straws and there's definitely it's there it's a it's a worthwhile cause, but there are so many other things that are more important and so,
0: What about what about reusable plastic bags? Would you would you view that as more important or less important than plastic straws?
1: I would say it's similar and you know, we did a really interesting study a couple of uh, almost a year ago probably at this point which is called the sustainability paradox that really compares how bad is a plastic straw versus a metal straw, plastic bag versus a canvas bag, et cetera. And generally what we learned is that if you actually reuse this bag, this straw, fill in the blank, it's great, right? You need to use it.
0: That's what my point was going to be. Like my problem is, is that so like we went out to New Jersey for vacation, and I used to live in California when bags first became illegal out there. But when we were in New Jersey, it gave us nightmares of how California was because I'd be carrying all this stuff because it, the law just went into you know some of the stores in their defense, the law just went into place and they didn't have alternative bags at that moment yet. It was like two or three weeks after the law went in place, and they couldn't give us you know the single use plastic bags, but. You know, I'm thinking like when has a single use plastic bag in our household? And I think this is true for many families too. That when has a single use plastic bag only been used a single time? Most of those bags end up being reused as far as trash bags, stuff like that. Now, to fill our little bathroom trash can, guess what? I'm buying a bigger, thicker tra- plastic bag to put a uh, way less portion, uh, you know, like it's a huge bag and we're putting this much garbage that a single use bag could have filled up with. So it's actually making us use more plastic if you think about it.
1: Yep, absolutely. Sustainability is so holistic. And so one issue is plastic, you know, for two reasons that I care about, um, The first is that it comes from petroleum, right? And so you're sort of supporting the fossil fuel industry every single time you use plastic. And the second is that it ends up in the oceans, right? And it's polluting our planet. Nobody nobody likes to see turtles with a straw in its nose. But there's also climate change, right? There's biodiversity loss. There's human health impacts. And so when you think of climate change, for example, a metal straw has probably worse implications for climate change than a plastic straw does. Um, And so if you buy a metal straw, that's great. But if you only use it less than 100 times, you might as well have used 100 plastic straws.
0: That's where I find what you're doing is so interesting because so many people, and I don't want to blow anybody up specifically, but so many people are, are in a, you know, like a pigeonhole, for example, they it's oh all plastic bags are bad they don't look at the nuance of the subject and they don't bring up like the study that you're bringing up to where you've got to use a metal straw 100 times you know or else you know the the actual impact is you know a 100 classic straws you know same thing and I, I think that's part of what's missing in this greater conversation that we're having and to a certain extent. I think that's also with the electric cars because a lot of places, for example, I mean, look how they get their energy. It's not green energy that's bringing the electricity to charge up the electric cars. I mean, how, how, let's get into that subject because I think that's very interesting as well, too, as far as the electric car. I don't know if it's a dilemma, but I mean, Rogan said it on his podcast. A lot of other people have said it. You know, you're in certain states. I mean, they still have coal plants firing up, or they're still using some other type of fossil fuel for energy production that's bringing that electricity. So, you know, maybe it's using that electricity more efficiently than gasoline would, but you're still, it's not like you're 100% green. Is that accurate?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, the bottom line is that every single physical thing has some sort of downside, right? From an environmental standpoint, I think from, from electric cars, we did a lot of research on that too. And we found that, you know, in West Virginia and I believe Wyoming, those are two States where oftentimes it doesn't pay off because there's such a huge coal mix Um, to your point, but in all other 48 States, 100% it's, it's still better. And so I think sometimes we, um, And I obviously am so in this because we're always looking at the details. But sometimes as a community, I think we get too caught up in sort of, well, did you know how bad solar panels are? How much energy they take to make? It's like, yeah, of course. But overall, they're still significantly better.
0: Isn't there other problems? Okay, so again, I'm just kind of, I'm not taking one side or the other. I just want to be clear just to you and all the listeners out there. But I do you know, when a guest comes on and they're talking about things, I do try to challenge as far as asking questions and just making people think, you know, so that way they don't think that uh, you're just high in the sky, everything's all good, you know. So one argument I've heard with the solar panels and with windmills is that they actually cause more damage to the areas of where they're located i guess with the solar panels i believe it might be because of things like um, you know it, it, it's generating so much heat in that area i think it is or there's a couple different reasons um, you know with the uh, windmills it's because of i guess not always being consistent with uh wind coming through and wind patterns and birds and stuff like that I mean, how much of that is actually FUD? How much of that is actually true?
1: I think for the most part, there's a glimmer of truth in all those things, right? Windmills, if they're, you know, particularly offshore wind, windmills can mess up the ecosystems and the ocean ecosystems. They really don't kill that many birds, certainly not as many birds as climate change is killing. Um, and so with solar panels, I've honestly never heard that they generate too much heat or can be dangerous or, or have those issues.
0: I suggest you, you look that up because I, I, I can swear, legit news sites, I, I've seen some of the contradictions on solar power being something around that sort um you know i'll 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 google up an article and throw it in the description um as kind of proof that i'm not talking out my butt really
1: it's like healthy dialogue obviously to be having i think generally what i've experienced is that those types of arguments are really good excuses for people who are embedded in the fossil fuel industries to explain why we can't get off of oil and gas and the fact is if we build enough solar panels if we build enough wind there's plenty of wind to power i mean entire countries in Europe are run on wind and so um that's definitely something that has legitimacy can we switch to complete renewable tomorrow of course not and you know i recognize that
0: we need the batteries batteries is the hurdle
1: i also think like this is unpopular among environmentalists but i think micro nuclear plants are really promising i think
0: okay so you were that that's my very next question i was going to be asking you is uh, well, maybe not micro plants i want to hear about that cuz i've not heard of the micro plant uh philosophy but we've had Uh, Green energy, which does have some negative side effects, but in the history of the world, there's only been two major accidents and, well, Three Mile Island, that almost was an accident, you know, so only three incidents in, what, 60, 70 years. Why aren't we investing more in nuclear energy? And that, to me... It is what makes me a little bit suspicious as far as some motives like, oh, solar panels. Well, that's because they want to sell solar panels or the windmill companies want to sell windmill. We had the technology for, for nuclear energy. It's very effective. It's very cost effective. Yes, there's a waste problem. But I mean, I don't know, maybe we get Elon to ship it out the space and then it's don't have to worry about it, uh, you know, sit in there, just blast it right into the sun. You know, that's what I view.
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I wish the solar panel and wind fire and companies were powerful enough to have lobbies to, to do that. I, I don't, I have to say, I don't think most people who are advocating for that are in bed, so to speak, like the fossil fuel. I think with
0: That's just one of the criticisms that I heard. So that's why I'm glad that you've addressed it. Because I I try to, I I play both sides of the aisles. I'm very down the middle and...
1: You're right. I mean, the the technology's there. I think for geopolitical reasons that are way beyond my pay grade, there's some danger in terms of nuclear arms and warfare um, that we have to be aware of.
0: But we already have nuclear plants out there. That's why it's, it, it, I mean, like, yes, I understand what you're saying about the nuclear risk, but we we already have existing uh, nuclear plants and a lot of other countries have existing nuclear energy plants. So I don't know if I would personally buy that explanation as far as, you know, potential, you know, the potential use of turning the waste or whatever into like a a WMD or something like that. I
1: think it's just, I I think more, it's just, that's one of the uphill battles. It's just a struggle to, um, it's not to say that that's a reason not to do it. It's just, that's why they're not, a lot of his nuclear plants have not been built in a long time. They're they're a little bit older. Um, And so I think that's one reason. And then, yeah i mean i think like chernobyl fukushima those types of situations were massive massive operations and so the value of these micro plants is that they're smaller they're more localized and so if god forbid something were to happen um it had the potential to be a little bit more contained um and i think that that is a promising future. I'm certainly not, I'm now out of my scope a little bit. I, I'm
0: not an energy. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I, the, the discussion itself is incredible and amazing. And I love these topics. And I did just Google, uh, believe it or not, uh, it says that uh, according to uh, EIA.gov, the newest reactor to enter service is Tennessee's Watts Bar Unit 2, which began operation in 2016. So you have to think, it's been six years since we have had a nuclear plant go online. But when you get into energy, stuff like that, I mean, you also have different technologies as far as potentially fusion. You have graphene, which is up and coming. And I I think to me, you know, and again, I'm not an expert on energy, climate, any of that stuff. But I, I think this plays, energy plays into your biggest discussion here that we're gonna get into in a second with climate change. But um, I think that there are alternative options as far as, you know, again, nuclear, maybe those micro uh, plants, you know, different few types of fusion plants, different types of, um, you know, graphene and th- what that potential, could potentially offer us in the future. I think that there's going to be other more stable options. I just, you know, will we do it? Will we assume the risk, you know, and how can we do it in a safe manner?
1: Definitely. Yep. I agree.
0: So now the the big topic that uh, you're really an expert on, I believe, is going to be climate change and how all this stuff has been affecting us. You know, like you talk about the conservation, the environmental impacts of consumer products, how much do you think that you know again, back to the plastic straws, back to the plastic bags, everybody's seen the the picture that's like a size of an island out there in the ocean of just accumulated plastic, which is horrible, okay that is disgusting, and as humans, we should be embarrassed of that, okay but how much of an impact do you think that all these uh, consumer goods have had on climate change as a whole?
1: That's a really good question. I think as a whole, it's not huge, right? It's less than 10% probably. Um, The thing about climate change is that there's not a silver bullet, right? If we turned all of our energy to nuclear tomorrow, we would still have a long way to go in other areas. Um, And so I think... We want to make sure that we're sort of tackling it in all different ways. And for me, you know, it's a combination of if you make different decisions, we can make a really big impact. And my main goal is let's get to a place where consumers demand this from businesses and businesses are forced to change their practices, right? Um, because I think right now, businesses just don't have the business case for it, right? Virgin plastic is cheap, so there's not an incentive really to switch. Um, but once once consumers start giving getting the information saying I'm actually not going to buy this anymore, that's when you know the dollars start changing and, and businesses are interested in, in shifting.
0: Well, ultimately, consumers, you know, they hold control over every company because of you know money, because of dollars. I mean, if you look people who get canceled or lose sponsors or whatever, it's because their customers are saying hey we're not going to support you anymore if you don't do this so I, I think consumers have a lot more power than they may even realize in most cases
1: i completely agree and i think that um you know the more we can empower them in that way other like i think before this phase of voting with your dollar um really the only thing consumers could do was vote every 2 years right um and even if we want to switch to microgrids and do all this fun stuff. The individual the average individual doesn't really have power over that, right? Unless they make it their career. Um, but everybody does have to buy toilet paper and shampoo, right? And so that is a way that we can really encourage consumers to Triple see- apply
0: toilet paper.
1: Exactly. To feel like
0: they're
1: <laughs> being a part of the part of the change. And you know, there's this gap where Seventy percent, nearly seventy percent of consumers want to make better decisions. Only twenty eight percent, twenty six percent end up doing so. So that gap is like there's not enough time. I don't know where to begin. It's too expensive. All of these
0: you hear twenty thirty a lot coming from one side of the the political aisle. Um, as if, I believe it's twenty thirty, maybe they've they've changed the date, but. Uh, uh, is climate change and where we're at, is it that serious of a thing? Is it more natural, uh, just global cycles? Is it man-made climate change? I mean, there, there's a lot of different options, you know, and that's one thing that I've noticed over the last couple of years. There's not many climate deniers that flat out, denying that the climate is changing it's more that they view that yeah it's changing but it's more of a natural phenomenon than it is a human made phenomenon where do you sit on that side of the aisle i have
1: two responses to that i think the first is there's nothing natural about the time in which this is changing you know you look at since the industrial revolution and It's a very clear once we had industry that started going up significantly more. So I don't believe that it's a natural thing. But my other point is that even if it were natural, like cancer is natural, right? But we invest a lot in avoiding it. It, Imagine imagine if we if we if we approach that as like people are supposed to get breast cancer and die. It's just something that that happens. That That would that's never an argument. And so when you it doesn't really matter. I think we're in this like post phase of why is it happening? The fact is it is happening and it's having horrible repercussions on not only the human community, but our entire ecosystem. And so if if there are ways that we know it can be slowed down, um, I think that's a worthwhile cause. Yeah,
0: no, I definitely agree with that too. And that's, you know, really some good counter points you know for some of those arguments that are out there so yeah you know this has been a pretty good interview i'd say we've covered a lot of topics
1: we've covered a lot yeah this was
0: a jam packed jam packed so i've got to ask you you know your business out there finch how can people find you how can they find your business how can they find more about the mission that you're carrying out
1: so go to choosefinch.com and you can download our extension, which operates on Amazon. And so, once you download that, whenever you're shopping on Amazon, you can see what products are more sustainable than others. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at, at Choose Finch. And um, you know, I love I love talking to users. So, if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, they should feel free.
0: And you love sh- talking. The Shark Pipe biz, right. I do. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. This was again such a far-reaching, interesting episode. I mean. We've talked about what some people will consider, you know, controversial topics to some degree. And we did it humanely. And I think that that is just proof that people can hold a conversation and can also understand nuance in this day and age if they allow themselves to. Yeah. So thank you so much. Good luck in your mission. I will be downloading your extension today. And also the link will be down below in the description. Thank you again, Lizzie. Thank you so much. See you soon. Cheers. Oh, wow. That was such an incredible chat with Lizzie, right? I I mean, really, it was just so amazing nuance. We got into details that, again, typically we don't talk about on this show. And to a level of nuance that it's just great having two people communicate and ask sincere questions and get real answers. It was pretty pretty great i'd classify this conversation as epic if you wanted my true opinion on it first though you all know the routine if you found this interview helpful if it sparked those warm and fuzzies do me a favor hit that like button smash that subscribe button but if you really want to help us out because you know that shark bite biz is the greatest kept secret in the world this small business please share us out to your friends your uh, family your colleagues, anywhere that you dwell on the interwebs, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Minds, anywhere you go, help get the word out, help carry out our mission of helping people achieve personal growth, professional growth, and most importantly with this show, small business growth. Now, let's get back to our rock star guest, Lizzie. First, I've got to say I really love and am passionate about what Lizzie and I have in common and that is our travel stories that kind of tie our paths together loosely. We both lived off the beaten path and it made us who we are today. It really shaped both of our beliefs. Me it went one direction, her it went into another direction but it made us who we are. For each person it really gives them something unique that comes out of that experience, and it affects everybody a different way. Living with a tribe in Tanzania, <laughs> that's pretty gnarly, I've got to admit. I don't admit this much on the show, but yeah, I was definitely jealous of hearing that story. That is an experience that, to me, would be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and The impact that that would have on my global view of how I feel that I fit into this world, I I think it would totally shake the foundation of that even more than, you know, me living down in, in Mexico. Hold on even more than me living down in Mexico or eventually down in Peru. So yeah, I mean, it's really great. And like I said, that's a once in a lifetime experience. And for her, it really helped her. I think, in my opinion, helped her understand the fundamentals of life, her mission what she's doing with her business it came directly from the experiences that she had. And it is an extremely important mission. I normally don't do this, but during the interview, I did bring up about the solar panels and some of the impacts that it does have on the ground. So uh, I am going to link to a Washington Post article in that in the bottom, just to kind of show that I'm not talking out of my butt with that. Uh, but it was some, you know, legit stuff about solar and Energy, and that's part of the region. And that's part of the reason why I ended up, you know, in my mind, I'm a bigger fan of nuclear or, like Lizzie said, the micro nuclear plants. Now that is a concept I never heard about before, but I'm blown away by that. I think we should be doing that. That is the easiest thing possible. Now I know energy isn't, you know, Lizzie's specialty. Her specialty is more around consumer goods, buying them and the impacts of the planet. But as I said in the intro, I was blown away when she told me that one metal straw, you know, the cost of energy to produce that, the negative effects on the environment for one metal straw is the same as drinking a 100 plastic straws. That is a fact that, I mean, I'm still blown away by that. That is something that I will keep to heart. It doesn't mean that I'm one way or the other, but I think making people understand the nuance of everything and that things are not just as, as right or wrong as people like to say they are with these issues is a big point, and that's kind of where I feel Finch fits in because it gives you some of that reliable, credible data to help you make smart purchasing decisions. So awesome stuff, Lizzie. Thank you for coming on, sharing your mission. I think it is critical what you're doing. I think Finch, I think your company is amazing. It's really innovating. And I love that you're educating consumers and also promoting small businesses that are doing things the right way and helping people understand the nuance of their purchases and how it affects the environment. Please, like she said, go download the extension for your browser. So that way you can check out and get more information about the products that you're about to buy. Question of the day. Would an extension like Finch help guide your purchases? Are you going to listen to an extension i'd love to hear your thoughts on this i'm sure this is going to be a hot topic leave a comment down below on youtube do you want to be on the show interviews at sharkbitebiz.com please if you're watching on youtube join the channel for only three dollars a month you can become a baby shark or head right on over to deadhousecoffee.com where you can get the freshest coffee known on earth coffee that is roasted sealed shipped and delivered to your doorstep within a 24-hour period of roasting don't forget to use the code shark you'll get 20 percent off of your order all the proceeds help us continue doing all the magic that we're doing here with shark bite biz we're about to be kicking off our live stream with odata pine in about a couple of weeks sometime in mid-september it looks like we'll have details coming soon so stay tuned Y'all know this by now, but I'll say it again. I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz.